Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey, she's fully Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. Today we're taking a little bit of a, a different tack. Fuliana and I are going to each talk separately about a particular topic because we feel that it's something that is a very personal topic and each of us has a particular way of dealing with the issue. And the issue for us that we're going to talk about today is rejection. It's when you have a project or a proposal or some course of action that you would like to take, you do your very best to do the research, to get all of the elements into place, and it gets rejected. How do we work around that? How do we cope with it? How do we find a solution? How do we move on from that situation? So I'll let Fuliana talk first, and then I'll be back to talk about my experiences as well. Have you ever been in a situation where you worked on a project with your team. It was a huge project. It was very exciting. It was something you really, really believed in and you gave it your best shot. And after all the hard work, it got rejected. I have more than once, sadly. And I'm sure some of you can relate to this. I'll give you an example of a project where it involved seeking approval from various areas about the commencement of the project. It was about whether it's relevant, is it priority, is it something that will help the business and the whole team? And the answer was yes. So we asked for volunteers and the volunteers were people that were passionate about the project, put their hands up and spend a lot of their time and effort researching, investigating, doing a lot of work on how to come to fruition with this project. It took three months, three months in addition to our normal work. It was very exciting. It really gave us a lot of time together collaborating, working with other areas, stakeholders, and we're very, very excited about it. We met um, our deadline on time cost there was none at that point as it was just our time and I guess our thoughts. The project went up and in a very very good presentation format. It was presented in country first to the senior leadership team and then from there on to the region and so on. I should say at the senior leadership level it was very well received. They were very impressed and gave a lot of praise to the team members. Three days later we got a notice from the region saying that really sorry great effort however the project is rejected only because they came up with a completely different system from the region but all the thoughts and another was put into it were consistent with that approach well how do you think that felt <laughs> I wasn't funny that's for sure I got the call, I got called into the CEO's office and um, they shared it with me and the CEO at the same time. I was not happy. I was very, very disappointed. I was particularly angry, I guess, because I thought, well, why wasn't that shared with us throughout the project? Why weren't we asked to stop working on it? Why wait till the end, etc.? I had a whole lot of things going through my head about how I felt. Of course, at the time, I said, thanks for letting me know. Obviously, this is not good news. I need to process it. And can I come back to you 
to clarify some of the questions that I will think through in the next day or so. I did that deliberately because if I shared how I felt right there and then on that phone hookup, I don't think it would have been as professional as I like to look. So I bought time. We hang up. I was a little bit more honest with my CEO and said how I felt there and then. But like um, wise, I said, let me work on this. And I said to him, the first thing that comes to mind and the things that upset me the most is having to tell my team after all their hard work. So what did I do? How did I feel first? I felt very disappointed. I felt angry. I felt hurt. And that's for me, for my team, you can multiply that by hundredfold as they gave me all their best over and above all their other work. And I was in a position where I had to go and communicate that to them. I thought about it and in the past, I handled this by going out to say I processed it myself. So I was past the angry stage and then when I went to my team, I was really positive and upbeat and tried to spin to, to the positive spin. I learned better. I learned that that doesn't work, that is insulting to the team, and that I need to give them the respect to process their feeling, to get whatever feeling they have made known, and we had to work through it. I took my time, I processed my feeling, and I tried to rationale why and how I would handle it differently and then I stopped I hadn't told the team yet I was conscious that I need to tell them and I need to tell them before they hear it from anywhere else so I rang my regional manager and I said could you please share with me I've got some questions the reason behind the decision could you please share with me the timing why not earlier and I raised all those objections that I imagined not only I would think of, but my team as well. So I did that. I got as much information as possible. I took it back to the team. I called the team together and I said, look, I've got some very upsetting news and shared the, the uh, news with them. As you can imagine, <laughs> they certainly were not happy and they were immediately vocal. So we talked through and I didn't try to stop the conversation, I didn't comment, and I just was honest when they said, and what do you think, and why didn't you know? And I said, I didn't know, and next time I wouldn't just carry on, I will have regular um, catch-ups to find out, uh, to, to tell people where we at, and then to let them know how we are uh, progressing, so at any point they can stop me, I've learned that much. I have asked them questions about what happened and why, and I'm happy to share that with you. But I feel very disappointed. I want to sincerely apologize to all of you for this result. I take full accountability, but I will share with you everything I know. I left it and I said, you just have a think about it, process it, talk amongst yourself, and let's meet again tomorrow to talk about it. So that's what we did. We actually, <laughs> that night we went and had a drink or two as well and talked about it informally, but constructively. I was very, very proud of the way we all handled it, considering how we all felt. So we decided that we're going to look at this and say to ourselves now, we're not actually going to come up with the answers tomorrow. 
What we want to do is leave it. We want to go and do our work normally, get our heads out of this project for a bit and start getting back to normality about our normal day-to-day -day work. Having said that, myself and others talked about it later and whilst we agreed to do that and it's the right thing to do, it just was at the back of our minds. So we were thinking about it all the time and just in the back corner of our minds. We carried on and then we started wanting to put it in perspective. Again, you get angry again and then you think, okay, well, why it, it happened? So how should we deal with it? And what are the options? One of our team members, who's quite a, a very gregarious personality, said, oh, let's make the most of this. Let's have another session. She took the lead. And that was another thing I learned. I learned sometimes it's much more important to let someone else take the lead, particularly in a situation where things have not gone to plan. As a leader, I thought initially maybe I should be seen to be taking this burden on. But when you have other team members volunteering and stepping up, that's fantastic. I was so glad that um, that happened. Being angry and being disappointed and channeling that into looking for new and varied options was absolutely wonderful and it happened naturally. So the next thing we did was look at some of the options. What can we use the information and the research we have done without contradicting anything that's going to be done regionally but for other advantages and other improvements. We decided that we'll make it a bit of a game about how can we do that. One of the team member suggestions, we break up into groups and come up with solutions and have prizes and stuff like that. So again, we put the fun back into it to take away, to, to bring a new emotion instead of just being angry. In summary now, if a project gets rejected, take your time to feel down about it. Do something normal, get back to your normal work. Put it in perspective, start working on other options. In other words, do not let no keep you from taking your idea forward. I'm going to leave you with a quote from a former CEO, Carol Bartz, who said, you're going to get rejected from people who don't agree with you, so you need to find the people who do. So in other words, lobby beforehand. Make sure you've got the right people to say yes before you embark on. Continually throughout the project, check that they still into the yes mode. And finally, you'll have your project going through. I'd love to hear what experiences you had with rejections and how you handled them and how you felt about it. So there you have Fulianas take on rejection and a very personal account of a project and the situation that she was faced with in her working life. I'm going to talk very similarly about a, a situation that has just occurred for me. Now, some of you might already know that I was part of a group that were looking to bid for the World Flower Show, an opportunity for the top 600 floral artists representing 31 countries to come to this country and compete and show us what they can do with flowers and with plant material. Now this is an event that's held every three years. It is considered the Olympics of floral art. Last year, 2014, it was in Dublin, in Ireland. The next one in 2017 is in Barbados. The one after that, 2020, is in India. And 2023 was up for grabs. 
like the Olympics, you have to put the bid in very much earlier than the actual time that you're going to be conducting the event. So we had to have our bid in, or we had to make a decision about whether Australia would submit a bid by about a week ago from when I'm recording this podcast. So in real terms, it was mid-September in 2015. The first pass of this activity was a meeting of the Australian Floral Art Association, and so each of the states is represented except for the Northern Territory. We needed to have a vote, a minimum of four states, to vote in favour of Australia submitting the bid. So I began lobbying some considerable time ago. In fact, probably just after I got back from Dublin, which was in June of 2014, because we had had a lot of inquiries, a lot of talk at the time of from the other countries and the other representatives, the other competitors, about when were we going to have it in this country. Now, New Zealand have hosted it, South Africa have hosted it. We're of the, the predominant uh, floral art nations, we are the only ones who have not hosted the event. And we thought that we really should be doing it. There, there's a, a, a generation of floral artists that are ready that have had experience in event management that that haven't come from the florist field, I suppose. So we're looking at a different mix of people, but what we have is a situation where those who are the decision makers, who have the power, who have the network behind them, um, are of a generation who came from florists. So, So if we look at it in business terms, we've got a group that's up and coming that have trained a different way to the group that holds the power at the moment. So how do you address that and how, how can you approach that situation? Well, the first thing that you need to do is you need to know that that, that is the case and you have to recognise that that's the case and you have to know what you're going to be addressing. What, what, and it's objection handling. What objections are you going to be able to handle from that power group so that you can change their minds. You can get the result that you want, which was which in my case was the yes vote. So first of all it was identifying that what the objections would be. And I worked very hard for probably eight months to look at what those objections might be. I talked to the individuals involved, I talked to others who are associates in, in that field. I looked at all the, the history of all of the the, the previous bids that had gone in and the success or otherwise of, of the actual event itself because one of the objections was that the event um, costs money, it doesn't make money for the host nation. And I think that's probably an objection for any kind of world-class event. For people who don't want to have it, I seem to recall that, that was something that was said about the Olympics when Sydney wanted to have the Olympics. So I got to a point where I had a list of objections. I knew that there were all these concerns and that I had... I had no chance of getting a yes vote if I didn't address those concerns and didn't address them in a way that was acceptable to these people so that they wouldn't lose face if they changed their minds. So this is a, that was another step in the objection handling process, was to look at, yes, I did want them to change their minds. I didn't want them to feel like they were stupid or they were giving in or that there was any other negative connotation about them changing their mind. So I had to be very careful about how the information was presented. At the beginning of the year, I started a series of, of communications, of contacts, of talking about events, of talking about the people in my group 
who could be involved in the management of such a, a task because what you're actually taking on for this particular thing is a three-year management term, the end of which is the world show. I felt that we as a group were developing a really good, solid footing, ready to take on the challenge that was going to be the management over that three-year period, as well as the organisation of this world show. And I thought that I had looked at all the objections and I had been addressing those and I kept it, the information to the forefront. I kept everyone that I thought was involved, going to be involved in the decision-making process, I, I kept them informed of, of what was happening, of, of, of what we were doing, of, of things that were relevant to the activity as well as to the decision-making process. We come through to probably about June of, th of this year, of the voting year, and a communication came out from the Australian body that presumed that all of the states would be not in favour. And this was done by an individual on the management committee, and it was, it was presented as, here is our response letter to the World Organisation asking us for a bid. We're going to say that we unanimously uh, agree that we won't be putting in a bid. And this, she, she did it unilaterally. She did it without discussion with any of the other states, rode roughshod over the top of all of the work that I'd done. And so that was my first inkling that I really needed to do a lot more than I thought I had been doing to engage these people, to actually get some commitment from them, to get some answer from them. Very difficult to do because they're all obviously remotely located around Australia. I don't know them particularly well. So, you know, all of these things, even though this is a, this is a passion of mine, it's not a business in that sense, they're still relevant to the business situation. You know, you're still going to be in a situation where you have to negotiate with people who are not immediately accessible, uh, who won't give you a response immediately, that people that you can't read, people that you can't tell what they're thinking, people who will tell you one thing and do something else because they just don't want the conflict that telling you how they really feel would cause. All of these things are part of negotiation. You know, it's a skill that I have developed over many years. I felt that I was using those developed skills in negotiating the outcome that I wanted. So, in fact, what happened after that uh, draft letter came out was that the New South Wales representative spoke to me and said, is this what we really want? And I said, well, no, it's not. <laughs> actually, now that you ask me. So let's we better do something about it. So so to her credit, she actually put a hand up and said, no, you haven't asked us whether we've agreed or not. This, this letter can't go out. What you need to do is go out and have the states ask their membership because that was the idea of the management committee across Australia so that the actual membership across the states got to vote on, on whether we would put in the bid or not. So that happened and it was then put over for a final decision to a meeting where everybody was, in fact, face-to-face. -face. It was the Australian Championship, so everyone was in Western Australia to compete and to be face-to-face -face at this meeting. So I determined that was my, my last chance, my last opportunity to get up and, and, in the face of all of these people, tell them exactly what not putting in the bid would mean. And that's what I did. I spoke at the meeting. I spoke very passionately at the meeting.
And I think that uh, it was very difficult for the people who had been ignoring me or putting the emails aside or not responding. Uh, it was very difficult for them to ignore the, the fact that I was there and that I was talking to them and I was looking at them and I was saying things that they did not want to hear. In hindsight, I can look back at it and say, well, that probably was me getting carried away with the situation and not looking at it at arm's length, not looking at it dispassionately. But I won't second-guess what happened because that's not healthy either. Uh, I did what I thought was right at the time. I felt that that was the opportunity for me to speak strongly, to show my passion for the result that I wanted. Well, during the meeting, there were a lot more objections raised, and so I took note of all of those. But the actual decision was not made at that meeting. And so I took that as something of a victory that the states were asked to go back and ask their membership again what they wanted to do. And in the meantime, while that happened, so we're talking about we probably had another 10 days of decision-making happening around the, the countryside. So it gave me the opportunity, with the blessing of my own my home state, uh, to write to everyone who was at the meeting and to everyone else that I thought would with, that I knew within the states that might have some influence over the decision that was being made. And so I did that and I sent out what in essence was a long copy sales letter because that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to sell these people on the idea of hosting a world championships and I addressed all of the objections that were raised at the meeting point blank. Uh, So for example someone said well I don't want to lose my house because of this and so I said no one is going to lose their house so I was very specific about answering the objections that were raised at the meeting and I talked more broadly about what opportunities there were in the membership for a different approach for a paradigm shift if you like of of change of the way they were thinking and the way they were approaching this whole situation sent that email out, had high hopes, as you, you do when you, you believe in something and you think it's the right thing for the organisation to be doing. And I got not one single response. Not one person out of all of the people I sent the email to even said they had received it. And I was, I was disappointed at that, but I thought, well, maybe it's too confronting or maybe it's just thrown them into chaos and they really don't know what to think, what to do came down to the day of the um, decision-making. And if any of you have listened to the uh, part one of our talk with Nick Plummer, you will hear that my phone rings in the middle of, of that because I thought it was almost flat and so I hadn't turned it off, which was, was very bad manners on my part. That was actually the Australian president checking to see whether I'd heard from any of the other states at that point because the voting was due to close two days after we did that talk with Nick. When the the date passed, two states had voted in favour, two had voted against, and the other three, not a single response. So they left it for two days, and a further two states voted against, and one state just didn't bother to send a response at all. So at the time, the, the information came through, and obviously all of my work had been for naught, I was... Devastated. I was personally insulted and affronted and just beyond disappointment. But mostly, I was insulted. 
because I felt that and I took it personally and I shouldn't have but it's very difficult not to take these things personally when you put so much of yourself into them so I want you to understand that it's okay to feel that way but you can't let that be the end of how you feel about the situation and I was very fortunate that you know I had a very low period of time uh, I've got a good group around me and in fact you know Fuliana had been following what was happening and so I had to email her and say well the vote's in and it's no you know she, she just basically said I can't begin to feel how disappointed you must be and yet she's been through that same situation herself and and you've heard her talk about how devastating it can be to you personally and particularly more so for her because she had a team that she then had to tell the news to as well so it, it's doubly hard for me it was just me you know a lot, the others that I talked about I was just really dragging them along I was spearheading this opportunity for us to to do this particular activity so I took it on my shoulders I took it on my head uh, and I had over the course of the next 24 hours when I was feeling really like what was the point you know I, I tried everything I, I gave it my best shot obviously my best is not good enough what else can I do and I, I started to second guess whether my skills that I had used in that process were as good as I think they are and that's very wrong that's a very wrong thing to do it, it's it's easy to do and it's probably natural to do but it's the wrong thing to do fortunately I had someone who pulled me up and said why are you thinking like that you know it was a good sales letter it was it was the right approach you said all the right things they just don't want it and his great line which I've run out a few times since was that you can squeeze a lemon all you like but sometimes no juice is going to come out a little bit later on the, the next day and you know, I had another person who was involved in it just say, look, put it aside, don't even think about it for a little while. And so not dissimilar to what Fuliana talked about, giving yourself time to recover, giving yourself time to get over it. It's not like me to have a day off where I do absolutely nothing completely but just things for myself. And those around me said, just have a day where you don't think about it, you don't touch the computer, you don't talk to anyone, you don't answer the emails, just have a day where you do some stuff for you. And I am so out of practice at being able to do that, that I really, I floundered. I, I, and I thought, well, this is strange, this is odd, but I managed to find a few things that I could do for myself and... and and it was the right thing for me to do. It was the right thing to take myself completely away from anything that might remind me of it, that made me think about it, make me uh, react any further than I had. And so when I came back after that break, which was only uh, eight hours or so, but completely out of the ordinary routine that I might have or the activities that I might do. So I came out of it thinking, you know what? It's not as bad as, as you think. So they didn't want it. So you put all that effort in and it came to nothing. But it really it didn't come to nothing because you had the opportunity to use all those skills, to keep them developed, to have an insight into this organisation and to see that they are not ready for change in the way that you want to bring it in. So you're going to have to think of a different way to incorporate change into this organisation because I am on the management committee for this organisation so I need 
to know that that situation. So it's been useful in that point. But what it also brought out was someone in a when they were trying to make me feel better, in an offhand suggestion, said, well, "You might as well organise one for yourself." And I mentioned that then to relay that that conversation to someone else, and they looked at me and said, "Well, why don't you?" And I thought to myself, "Well, why don't I?" So out of that whole situation came an opportunity that I couldn't see for myself, that I would not ever have identified for myself, but that others identified for me and gave me the suggestion. And, and it mightn't be something that... It won't, certainly won't be the same as, as what is conducted as a world championship, but I can run an event that is along similar lines that does bring the top 100 floral artists to this country and I can run it as a commercial venture and I can do all sorts of other things with it and I can make it a great show for people to be introduced to floral art, which is what the world show is about as well. But I don't have to do it on someone else's terms. I can do it on my terms and still get an outcome. It's just a a different approach and a different outcome to what I was expecting from the situation. The help that I got to move beyond the immediate reaction to the rejection well, it can't be replaced. You, you can't put a, a figure, a title. You can't say what it is or how useful it is. But I guess my message out of, of dealing with rejection is that you look at, as Fulana said, when it happens, give yourself time. Don't do the immediate reaction. Don't do the knee-jerk reaction. Let yourself... Feel the things that you feel immediately, but don't let them be in charge of how you feel about the activity that led up to the rejection point. Because rejection is just one thing that happened. All of the other stuff that happened beforehand has given you skills, has developed a team, has brought into your your realm of, of knowledge things that you might not otherwise have been exposed to. All of that is power because knowledge is power so you you transfer that past the rejection you you leapfrog over the rejection line and you bring it to the next lot of things that you're doing and you've always got that as a resource that you can fall back on so whilst it's hard to handle the rejection and to move beyond it you will move beyond it you can move beyond it and what when you do move beyond it you've got a whole extra bit of skills and knowledge and resources that you didn't have before you got rejected. The bottom line is don't focus on the rejection. Bring to bear all of the things that you put into the project, into that development phase, bring them over the rejection line and into the next thing that you're going to do. So there you have it. Fuliana and I talking about rejection on a very personal level in terms of our our business activities. I hope that that has given you some insight into how we handle rejection. And we'll be back with you again for another podcast soon. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Bye.